0: Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here again with Dan Rudman. And we are continuing our series on manhood and womanhood. Uh, We have, again, titled the series Man and Woman, God's Idea. So, you know, God's the one who designed humanity as male and female. He created man in his own image And he created man as male and female in his image. So that's what we've been unfolding for a number of episodes now. Hopefully uh, you have, you're not, well, if you're new to this series, if you've just tuned into this episode, I would say, hey, maybe if you have the ability, go back and listen to the series in order. Um, Obviously that we're, I don't know what episode we're at now in the series, maybe six or seven. So that's kind of a lot of episodes to go through. But I think if you really are interested in, in, and really grasping this 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 theology of manhood and womanhood, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to all the ones leading up to this one. But where we're at right now, and maybe maybe you just typed in 1 Timothy or pastoral epistles or something, and you're just interested in the texts that we're talking about today. But that's what we're doing today. We're talking about specific New Testament texts uh, that, uh, that specifically talk about the roles of man and woman. And so where we've been is... We started in Genesis, then we went through the Old Testament, then we went through the Gospels, then we went through Acts. Now we're looking at these New Testament letters. Um, and we've looked at uh, a passage, a couple passages in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14. We looked at Ephesians 5. We looked at Colossians 3. Uh, and now we're finishing up our kind of our survey of, of Paul's letters where he talks about manhood and womanhood. And we're finishing that up with his his pastoral epistles, First Timothy, um, and Titus. Uh, I don't think we're really going to touch on 2 Timothy. The, the the passages that really stick out to people are in First Timothy and Titus. So that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be looking at specifically First Timothy chapter two, uh, verses uh, you know verses eight through fifteen, uh, and then we'll look again. We'll look right after that at First Timothy. Th- three with the um, the qualifications for an overseer, and then we'll touch briefly on some things some things that Paul says to uh, Timothy about widows, which is really interesting, and then we'll jump over to Titus and talk about, you could say it's been called the Titus two woman, but we'll give some commentary on that passage as well. So that's where we're going in this episode, and uh, who knows how long it'll take us we're long-winded long-winded so with all these passages before us <laughs> who knows this might be another two hour episode, but maybe we'll be able to be brief <laughs> but so yeah we're we're in first Timothy so a little bit of some context on first on the letter of first Timothy so again this is called a pastoral epistle so it was it wasn't written specifically to a church but it was written specifically to an individual man named Timothy and so Timothy is. You could say he's, he's the, the, uh, Paul's child in the faith. He's, he's this young man that uh, has been called, you could say, or given the gift of teaching, and, and Paul is raising him up. And, and he's kind of a, a personal disciple of Paul, and he's been placed uh, as a leader over the church in Ephesus. And so we would say as Paul is writing this letter... 1 Timothy to Timothy. Timothy is currently pastoring, shepherding, overseeing um, this church in Ephesus. And so we just actually, you know, the last episode, if you're listening to this in order, the last episode we talked, we were talking about uh, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. So this is still, this this is that church. Timothy is over this church right now, and they're going through a lot of issues. Uh, There's specifically it's called this Ephesian heresy that's that's plaguing the church in Ephesus and we don't really know much about this Ephesian heresy um, there's there's a few things that we can glean from from um, from Paul's letter to Timothy of, of of certain ways that he encourages them. Uh, certain things that he says to Timothy to do and we can kind of reverse engineer that and say okay yep that's probably this is probably certain aspects of this heresy um, and but we can't really say definitively this is what the heresy was uh, but in general it was it was what we would say as as an overrealized eschatology which really means that uh, certain individuals within the Ephesian Church were were teaching basically that, that the kingdom of God has totally come, and that there therefore is, you know, we now operate as, you could say, as um, basically perfected uh, human beings who have now been given our glorified bodies, and we're in this glorified state, and we're living in the new heavens and the new earth, and in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no more marriage, which therefore means there's no more sex, uh, all these things temporal worldly things are basically done away with. And so it's 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 kind of ridiculous, but that's that's the essence of it. It's like it's over-realized eschatology as though we're living in heaven now. And so they said, well, there's no marriage in heaven, so that means that uh, the roles between men and women, that's over and done with. There is no more distinctions between men and women. And so men don't have to really act like men. Women don't really have to act like women. Sex is bad. Uh, it had a form of a where just anything really kind of physical was bad. Sex is bad. Eating food is bad. All that type of stuff was bad. And so that was, that was a part of this heresy and we can kind of glean that from the from re, kind of reading in between the lines a little bit of this letter to, to Timothy that Paul was writing. Um, but that's kind of the t- context. So this, this Ephesian church is totally in disarray. It, there's, there's false teachers plaguing it. People are being deceived. Um, and Paul writes Timoth- to Timothy to, to give Timothy, in a sense, the ammunition to put this church back into order and so we've we've talked a lot about especially with the fir- or with our our commentary on the first corinthian passages this whole kind of i don't know theme of putting into order what is disordered and so just like the corinthian church that was there's just so much disorder in the corinthian church so the ephesian church was experiencing a lot of disorder and paul is writing to timothy to help him put into order what is disordered and you could say there's there's kind of almost like a a thesis statement, in a sense, in this letter in, in chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, it says, well, I'll start in verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. So Paul actually wants to come to the Ephesian church to help out with this these issues. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is a church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of, of, of the truth. So... If I delay, I want you, Timothy, to know how how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. So this is how you are to operate as a leader of this church. This is how you are to put into order what is disordered in the present time. So that's a little bit of the context of this letter. And we see right off the bat, uh, just again, contextually, just to kind of, this is all as introduction, you could say. But right away in verse 3 of chapter 1, as I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So, obviously, there it is. False teachers plaguing this church. What is Paul's first, you know, charge to Timothy? <laughs> to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So, that's Timothy's first job. Start to tell people, hey... <laughs> Basically, shut up. <laughs> Stop teaching that. <laughs> so, yeah, all that is introduction, context. Again, we're talking about manhood and womanhood. So, again, as a as a little bit of a review, again, this overrealized eschatology is starting to affect how men and women operate in the church and with each other. It, these false teachers are basically saying, "Hey, there is no more distinctions between men and women. Basically, heaven has come. You, you, so stop, stop, you know, getting married, stop having sex, stop all this distinction stuff, and that gives us, you know, a good basis to understand why uh, Paul would say the things he does to Timothy, and so we're." going to begin now in um, chapter 2, where we'll look at our passage here, and this is a a passage that (laughs) has been heavily, heavily, heavily debated and heavily commented on, and let me just kind of, as a preface, explain to you a little bit why this passage, um, well, let me just read it first, let me read it, because maybe you don't have a Bible before you, maybe you actually don't know the passage I'm referring to, and I'll read it, and... And then I'll just give you some just some general introductory comments on this passage um, in you could say in history a little bit. So it says this, starting in verse eight, chapter two, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, apparel um, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair And gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So that's the passage that's man it's been at the it's been at the center of crossfire for centuries and centuries and centuries. And why? Because it speaks so explicitly on the role of a woman in the church. Paul is prohibiting prohibiting you could say women from exercising authority over men or teaching men. It's very, very explicit, very clear. Uh, verse twelve: I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So it's such a, it's such a pointed statement, and it's so explicit, and it's so clear, and contextually it's so, it's so well uh, defended. Paul def- again, like we've been saying this whole time, he's he's defending it. He's grounding the statement in creation itself, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So it, he's he's closing all the doors. It's so clear. And so why this text has been so hotly debated is not because it's not clear, but because it it is so clear. (laughs) And that might sound odd to you. Let me explain a little bit. But if you were to – if you're coming from the egalitarian position or the feminist position and you're trying to do – you're trying to create an argument or a biblical defense – for why there is no distinction between the roles of men and women in the church or in the household or whatever it is if you're trying to make an argument for this no distinction and you come across this text that very explicitly contradicts your position you're you're going to have to you're going to have to figure out a way to get this to say something that it's not saying in order to continue to have your position have some integrity to it So that obviously means that you have all these different scholars and commentators and and people throughout history who have given their position on this text because they have to give their position on this text because if they're going to have any sort of integrity or weight as a scholar or as an academic or as a theologian or whatever it is, and they're talking about the roles of man and woman in the church or in the household— If they don't speak towards this text, well, then people are going to, in a sense, just dismiss their position because you have to deal with this text because it's so explicit. And and so that's why you will find that there's so many – if you actually do some research yourself on this text, you'll find that there's so many, so many interpretations of this, so many of them, and you go, wow. If there's this many varying interpretations of this, of this text, it must mean that it's, it's not very clear. It must mean that we can't know what it says. And that's not the case at all. Uh, the case is there's so many interpretations because the people who come into this text or come into the Bible with a pre-understanding error or a pre-bias or a bias on the roles of man and woman, um, they're going to have to deal with it. And if they want to keep their position, that we would say, I'm talking about the egalitarian position, if they want to keep their egalitarian position and have it, you know, have them have themselves still have some sort of uh, um, integrity as a scholar, they're going to have to give an interpretation of this text that fits with their their pre-understanding and their or their bias or their egalitarian theology. And that's why you have so many different interpretations. Now, obviously, that means that a lot of these interpretations are wrong. Um, And we'll get into that a little bit. But that's kind of as an introduction about this text. Because if you really dive into it, personally, you who are listening, really dive into this text, you'll see that, holy moly, (laughs) there's been so many different views on this text. And some of the commentaries that do a really good job of, of, of... Wading through all these different positions is one of them. is is, is mounts, um, who is really known as one of the best Greek scholars. Um, he gave, he he wrote a a brilliant commentary. It's actually uh, it's in the Word Biblical Commentary, so it's very technical. Uh, it's it's it really is written towards someone who has a knowledge of Greek or the original language, so it's a very technical. Commentary. He goes through all the different positions and talks about why they're wrong, or who has who has you know got it right and who has got it wrong. So Mounts is a commentator who is very technical, uh, but has done a great job. Um, another guy is Thomas Schreiner, uh, again an, another really good commentator. Another one is 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 Douglas Moo uh, Mu has written a lot of f- fantastic commentaries. Uh, his, his commentary on Romans is, is considered to be the gold standard on Romans today. Uh, he has a wonderful commentary on James. He has a wonderful commentary on Colossians and Philemon. Um, so these guys are guys that have, have waded into the, m- the mess of interpretation on this text and have come out— uh, with a very solid interpretation that is grounded in in, in the text is ex- exegetically accurate. Uh, they they give good justification for uh, why they interpret it as they do and and those are guys that, uh, you would want to read if you want to get into this more than what Dan and I are going to talk about it. I guess, I, uh, man, I've been talking a long, a long time, Dan. Do you have anything to add on that? Um, <laughs> I like, well, no, you're do- I feel like I've been no, saying doing- some pretty boring things. No,
1: you're <laughs> you're doing fine. You're doing fine. I, I would just add a couple, well, a couple of brief, I don't know, add-ons, qualifications. Sure. So even, uh, okay. So first of all, I have two or three thoughts. Not you're you're mentioning these commentaries uh commentators um theologians biblical scholars i always get nervous um not nervous concerned when people hear us in today's context here in the west because again there's this idea that well we can't really know this and every and it's because we're so influenced by relativism relativism and pluralism in the area of coming to know truth it it People think, well, see, we really can't know this, and you got to read all these different people and get a bunch of opinions, and then every one of them, at possible interpretations, are all valid, and it's up for grabs what scholar or expert do you like. It's similar, right. similar, it's a similar when I was going through this, to be honest with you, in the last, spending a lot of time this last week, particularly, it made me think of the uh, current culture we're in in the United States, like politically. Like, well, where do you get your source for news? Where do you get this? Yeah, yeah. Who's telling the truth and who's not? And this sort of biblical discussion can be kind of thrown into that same sort of arena at least for you know the way we feel about it sort of. Yeah. And I would want to tell your the listeners of this podcast that's not it's 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 not the same. It's not the same. Okay. Yeah. So um <clears throat> so we're not like appealing to this is the expert they're right. We're saying Listen to all the discussions and arguments of the text, the various words, the you know the nuances mm-hmm. of the words, voice, tense, all these things, and which which one comes down and fits the context of Timothy, fits the context of New Testament, fits the context of the pattern from the beginning to the end of the scripture, and yep. these and these are the guys you're referring to that you think that, that they do a good job of that. Secondly, the the, the value of these uh, <coughs> commentators uh, to to your point, Sam, that we're not We've already talked about what we're gonna to try to do. We're not gonna to try to go with all of these various interpretations of all the various words because it's not like it's endless, but there's a boatload. There really is a boatload. Yeah. And we and we'll probably refer to a couple of them. But the point being is that we're not we're not even pretending to be the scholars of of Moo and Mounts and those guys. And we're just saying if no. you wanna see all the different interpretations, go to those guys. They do, you know, a really ample job of, of laying them all out. And then, yep. then you see why they weigh a certain way, this, that way, or that way. So that's that, I just think that's something people need to understand. The second thing is, just a qualification of what you're saying, Sam, um, I agree with you. First of all, like the reason that we are sitting here in 2020, soon to be 2021, uh, as we keep saying, is that there's this pressure of a world around us coming at the church, if you will, or at the truth of God. Right. And the current play on that, obviously, is this whole issue of gender and what it means to be male, what it means to be female. And there's a movement out there uh, that's that's huge. And we talked about it. It's like I keep saying it's like a tsunami. It feels like such a pressure. Oh, man. It's on every front. And so when you say um, the reason people react to this is because of that, I want to affirm that as we're sitting here today, that's true. Yeah. However, we would want to, I want to add, that's where I want to just add and qualify a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the history of the church, there have been questions about this passage because there are a couple things here. Like what's it mean that a woman is going to be saved? There's the word, Right. you know, does it mean saved like salvation through child rearing or child bearing? What's that mean? Right. What's the child rearing? What's the child bearing? Does it mean that she's actually saved, rescued, salvation through having children? I mean, those are real questions that have been asked. Real questions. And they weren't, yep. they weren't this feminist, egalitarian tsunami. They were just honest yeah. questions about what does that mean? Right. And so all I want to add, Sam, is there are a number of things here that people have wrestled with in all fairness. Yeah. That really wasn't about this pressure we're feeling that most people listening to this are feeling. It's Right. There were some really textual things here that you go, okay, well, I wonder what Paul meant here, you know? Right, and so even when you realize that, you know, uh, in in Peter in Second Peter, uh, Peter actually says something very interesting when he's talking about Scripture, uh, Paul writing Scripture. He actually says, uh, <laughs> "We read this one other time, I think, in another podcast, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah." Second Peter three. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him, in Christ, in peace, spotless and blameless. Again, 2 Peter 3, 14. Then he says, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So, first of all, the big thing that we usually camp on on that verse that's really like jumps out at you is that whatever Paul's writing here, uh, Peter clearly sees as scripture. And Peter yeah. is the supreme oh, Jewish apostle. He knows scriptures, think Old Testament. And he's equating Paul's writings to the Old Testament, to the very word of God. It's a huge. Right. But apart from that, just notice what he says. He writes these things in his letters with this great wisdom, in which are some things hard to understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are things, and it's funny Peter says that because if you just got them going through First and Second Peter, he does the same thing. <laughs> he, he might even do it more. <laughs> yeah, he, he writes some things like, what, What's that mean, Peter?" Like you know. Yeah. <laughs> so all I, all I want to affirm in your podcast, Sam, is that if we were to go back a few hundred years. It wasn't the egalitarian feminist tsunami that was against this necessarily. There were some issues here of what does this mean? Yeah. And certainly in the history of the church, one of them, one of the big ones that would continually come around because it was the whole Reformation, the whole uh, difficulty with Roman Catholicism and the Protestant Reformation was justification. How are we justified? How are we really, I could say this way, how are we saved before God? Right, You know, how, how are we justified? How are we declared righteous before God? How wh- how do we mm-hmm. get salvation? Is it by works? Is it by grace alone? And then you have to define those things, right? And so yep. th- those things could have come into play here when somebody's reading this, like somehow this woman has salvation through child rearing or child bearing. Right. And that's not what this is talking about. <clears throat> right. And we probably will get to that. So I just want to make... Yep. Yeah. But, cer- but certainly, the context that you and I are speaking in, this is the yep. pressure. Probably 95% of the people listening to your podcast right now are feeling this pressure and wondering about how do we be men and women in the church and in our world as we right. walk with God, right? Okay. Exactly. <laughs>
0: okay. And, and I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that whole relativistic thing, because that's, that's the temptation. You can get... <laughs> when you have all these people weighing in and they have differing opinions, differing interpretations and you go, Oh man, how are we ever going to know which one's right? Uh-huh. And you can just start to get down on yourself. Like i so many people disagree on this. I'm never going to, how am I some, you know, regular Christian ever going to, if all these scholars disagree, how am I going to ever figure out what what's right? And <laughs> it's not, you can't think that way. Uh, yeah, you, you got to realize that that there really is again our whole drum that we've been beating. Yes, Dan has already mentioned there are some technical there are some things in this passage that are hard to interpret. But once again, the main thrust of the passage, the main principles or theology of the passage is actually pretty clear and it's and it's according to this pattern that's been clearly displayed throughout scripture. And when you get to any portion of scripture again, the vast majority of scripture like 99.9% of it, it's just it's just pretty plain. There are some things, some technical things that can get a little difficult. And and we'll talk about those things and there can be some room for your for for differing opinions on on some certain things. But but that doesn't mean that there isn't a true meaning in the text. There, there is a true meaning here. There is one meaning. That's, that's, that's hermeneutics 101. That's, God has inspired, has, has put a, a true meaning in the text, and we as interpreters have been tasked with coming to understand that true one meaning and then applying it to our lives today um, in a faithful way. And that's that's our job. And he hasn't he hasn't made it uh, you know impossible for us. Indeed, he's made it very plain. <laughs> so we just have to keep in mind the whole context, like Dan said, the context of the whole Bible, the context of First Timothy, the context of Paul's writings, all these things that we that we've been putting on the table. And you know, one of the big hermeneutical rules is Scripture can't contradict Scripture. There's no contradiction here when Paul says yet she will be saved through childbearing. Well, <laughs> we can't interpret this in a way that's contradictory to all that all that scripture says about how somebody is saved. So, keep that in mind. But nonetheless, we're not <laughs> this podcast episode isn't specifically on the doctrine of justification, but again on the roles of men and women. So, let's uh let's let's get into it here a little bit and we'll start working Verse by verse through this passage, and see where we go from there. Uh, but starting at verse eight, Paul says, "I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling." Um, again, not much to say there. Um, could you say? Could someone say that that there was an that the men had an anger problem in the Ephesian church? And so Paul is specifically saying, "Hey." I want the men to uh, pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You could maybe say that, that, hey, Paul's specifically saying that the men um, need to not be angry or quarrel because in this disordered Ephesian church right now, they are being angry and are quarreling. Maybe. But nonetheless, all Christians in, in general <laughs> are to live in ways in a, li- a life that's not filled with anger and quarreling so we'll kind of you know we're not we're not going to spend much time on verse 8 verse 9 likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with uh, but with with what is proper for women who practice or pro- who profess godliness with good works so here we have an interesting text that is one of those texts that automatically people ask the question, well, does that apply to me today? Does it, does, is Paul saying that for us today that women shouldn't have braided hair um, or have any jewelry, I can't say this word, jewelry <laughs> that is gold or can't wear pearls or can't wear expensive clothes? Uh, is that what he's saying here? And you know that gets that gets a little bit difficult like a lot like the first Corinthians 11 passage that we talked about a few episodes ago, um, there's a principle here that's abiding that there's a theology here that's abiding that lasts forever. Now the application of it might vary a little bit. So the issue is, it's it's less on how the women were dressing and more on what they were prioritizing. In this in the context, the women were prioritizing an external adornment over the internal adornment. So Paul is saying you need to prioritize women need to prioritize the internal adornment basically, which means they need to prioritize godliness. Uh, they need to prioritize prioritize good works over this external adornment and in their time and in this place it seems like in in Ephesus the way that they were externally adorning themselves th- these women at least was with braided hair gold or pearls costly attire and i th- i think in some commentaries they say that they would braid their hair and the, they would actually put like gold pieces within their braided hair uh, and and things like that So again we don't we don't see much of that at least in our Western society maybe some African well, countries you do, well wait a you minute see some of that
1: yeah but I think taking it a step further though Sam, uh, I agree with your emphasis about external versus internal but I do find this fascinating because while we could apply this to the uh, Ephesian Church directly uh, contextually, it seems to be true for all all time in some ways is like his emphasis here is on the internal versus the external and right. the, and this external lends itself taking how far you go with it into the sensual into the enticement into the yeah, in, yeah. In, into the sensuality the sexual it just does and yep. which i find fascinating right like women have this beauty and power and adornment that's not all wrong to be beautiful and adorning but the emphasis is supposed to be on the internal and on the external and so clearly we can look at our world today right here in the west and it's about external adornment it's about what you look like do do you have the right body do you work out enough do you put the right stuff on do you i mean it's it's I mean, every bit of fashion in the world is 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 emphasizing this point, this issue. Yeah, yeah. And and so here are these these women and men, but that come to faith in Christ from the outside world. And the outside world said, "What's what's really valuable is how you look and how you dress and how you present yourself to be attractive, to be you know sexually attractive, to entice, to seduce." Mm-hmm. and he's speaking to the women in the church going, that's not supposed to be your priority now. It's a different priority.
0: Right. Okay, so. Yeah. Right, no, that's that's great. Yeah, I can, yep. I guess don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, yes. You're, and we, you're,
1: you're, you're talking about the specifics here, I think. Your, yeah. Your point is, yeah, I, whether it's the braided hair or not, it's not the point. It's like they're doing something, though. Right. That's emphasizing the outside sensuality right. issue, and for them, maybe yep. that was a little bit different than other people or cultures might do in the specifics. But they're doing the same thing.
0: Yes, and yes, we and we see this 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 phrase with modesty and self control. Yeah. So there was something about the way that they were dressing that was immodest and uncontrolled. Yeah. Yep. And and again. The men who are listening, you know uh, when a woman is dressing immodestly. Like, it's, it's just very obvious. I'm sure the other women who look at women know when, they, when the other women are dressing immodestly. It's just, it's actually very obvious. And it's, it, sometimes it's even hard to define explicitly what is it about how she's dressing that's immodest. But you know it when you see it. And often it is, it is dress dress or or clothing or whatever it is that that draws the eyes or the attention or the gaze to the figure of a woman or to her 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 specific body parts or things like that yeah um and and again women are are not to draw the attention of of people to their to their physical outward appearance to their body but they should be adorning themselves uh internally with good works good character godliness and holiness and so uh people are 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 not drawn to their physical uh, body but are drawn to their their godly character mm-hmm. and and that's what Paul is 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 saying here now again that doesn't mean that uh sometimes this can be taken to the very opposite, as often is done in a, in a more—I I don't want to—I don't want to pigeonhole it too much, but a more legalistic or or fundamentalist grain, uh, where uh, they might take it to the point of well, women just—they got to totally cover themselves up completely so that you can't like see anything about them. And you see this a lot in in maybe uh, in a Muslim type community where where women are covered from head to toe, uh, and you can't see anything but her eyes, and And, and again, I wouldn't, I would say that's not saying this, like, it's not saying that women can't dress nicely (laughs) with nice clothes that still uh, make them look beautiful. There's something about seeing a woman and she looks beautiful, but it's not sensual. And again, that's one of those things that's hard to really define, but there is something uh, there that a woman should look beautiful, but... There is a there's a line between beautiful and sensual, and it seems as though, again, we're 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 speculating here a little bit, but it seems as though these Ephesian women were adorning themselves in a way that was that was more sensual than just beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, and I don't even know. Yeah, I suppose you could use the word speculation. I would. It, it, yeah, you could use the word speculation, but but doing background study, Sam, of the culture yep. that 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 was common. Yep. Just like in in Corinth, they had lots of prostitution and lots of, yep, you know, it's just, that was all part of, that's been, but I just, what I was saying even earlier, I find it kind of interesting because like, hasn't it kind of like always been this way? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I mean, really, you can go anywhere in the world and look at any culture and they have their way. Yeah. of Women kind of leaning towards that way to, you know, to entice men and men. Right. Men uh, wrongly uh, being attracted to it, you know, right? In the wrong way. I mean, there's there's something about a man right. being attracted to woman. I get that, but you, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. But it's like it's always been that way. Yep. There's this sexual se- sexual sensual component that's so interwoven, and that's not the point of our talk today or our podcast. But it's so interwoven into us as people. It's amazing.
0: Oh yeah. Oh
1: yeah. And so, and you know, and God's always calling us to walk away from sensuality and those lusts of right. the flesh and those desires right. and moving to a different place and seeing something different. And so. Right. So again, well, yeah. uh, let me emphasize something. I don't remember if you just said it a minute ago, but when you got into verse eight, I mean, he's talking about the order, order here, church order. He's talking about worship, yeah. spending time together in the context, say, of, i.e., the church. Right. And so, you know, again, he's women. Um, you know, there's a propriety, a sobriety, a a, a a way of presenting yourself that emphasizes the internal character and less, you know, your your uh, your attributes. If I were to say it that way, certain attributes that could be are beautiful, but they aren't supposed to be yeah. hi- highlighted in certain ways,
0: right? Yes. Okay. So. Yeah, I I don't have much more to say about that. Really, where we start to get into the the contested stuff now is starting in verse 11. So, starting in verse 11 then. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So, (laughs) here we go. Now we're into it. Again, like... Again, I, I really hope you have listened to the other episodes and that you're just following along in the series. Because if you've noticed, if you've followed along with this, if you've noticed, almost every single one of these texts that refer to man and, man and woman, it, it, it defines the woman's role as a submissive role. It always does. 1 Corinthians 11, submission. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, submission. Ephesians 5, Submission. Like, it's, 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 it's what's been continually defined. And the woman's role has been continually defined as a role of submitting to her husband or her head, submitting to the authority that's over
1: her. And, the, and so we see it. And, and, and Sam, yeah. and the appeal, even Jesus in the Gospels, we already went through all this, but the appeal, yep. appeal for all of these is always back to the original creation. Correct. A creation Correct. a creation theology, if you will. It, right. It just always does. Right. So
0: that, and that's exactly right. So that's what we see here again. We see this this <laughs> the same pattern. Submission. Submissiveness. <laughs> and so let a woman okay, let me let me say this. We could ask the question. Okay, how is a woman to be submissive? And so you could ask the question of the text, Okay, how is a woman to be submissive? Well, in a sense, we have three three ways that she is to be submissive. And one is a positive, two is in two, two are negative. It's stated in a one stated positively, two are stated negative, negatively, if that makes sense. So the positive. Let a woman learn quietly. So, a positive expression of being submissive is to learn quietly. Does, is that confusing? Does that does that make sense, Dan? Am I am I making sense with the positive stating it in the positive?
1: Yeah. Keep keep going there. Finish it up first. Okay, yep. And, yeah. and then stated negative. negative
0: two stated negatively. I do not so here we have two negatives. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise of authority over a man. So three definitions. Of what it looks like for a woman to to be submissive is, first, to learn quietly, second, to not teach men, and three, to not exercise authority over a man. So, that's what it looks like to operate, as a woman, to operate with all or complete submissiveness or full submissiveness – within the body of Christ within this church um, yeah I mean and then we can start to dig into those those three a little bit here you got anything to say about that Dan
1: <laughs> well you're you're gonna get here in a minute down here uh when he refers to Adam and Eve again and again we have yeah we'll get there. Case, and we'll get there but yep but yeah I was thinking, I, I, thought, I had a bunch of thoughts when you were saying this. like Again, culturally, where we sit here today, you and I are sitting in this Western culture 2020. This It sounds like curse words. It sounds like... <laughs> I know. You know I, can, <laughs> I can imagine people going, Anathema! You know, this is I terrible. I don't like this. Really I don't like this. It can't be what is meant. Can't be means that. Well, I have two or three thoughts. First of all, uh, there's been another movement in our culture. Where people don't like what the scriptures say. And it's when you go to Romans one and it talks about homosexuality, you know? Yeah. People will say, Well, that can't be what it's mean, that God is giving you over to these desires or something. It's like, well, no, it kind of means that. So (laughs) so I'm not I'm not equating this to that. I'm just saying that isn't it interesting when there's a cultural movement, a movement contrary to the word of God, that when the God's word comes, there's this visceral almost reaction. Mm-hmm. that says, it can't be that, right? Well, right. okay, so take a breath and step back and think of the context here that we're going to get to. But uh, just to say, Paul's always in this context. In the garden, if you remember, in the garden, uh, Adam, God had told Adam the rules of the garden, if you will. We, again, we've labored this over and over, so I don't need to relabor it. But when then when God created Eve, his equal but a different role Mm-hmm. he taught her the rules of the garden. Adam taught Eve the rules of the garden. He said, this, this is how this operates. That's, you know, yeah. there, there when we, we study that text. And so there's a sense there then that Adam was to take this truth of God. Here it is, Eve. He goes, oh yeah, that's awesome. Let's live it out. We're doing it. And I'm coming alongside you and making sure we're living out the truth of God. But the point being is that on the front end, the head, Adam was the one that was given this truth to give to Eve. Mm -hmm. And so she received it. Like, oh, that's awesome, Adam. Perfect. Remember, it was very good. She had no qualms with that. The conflict came in when Satan came in and got her to question it, right? Mm -hmm. So just think of that in light of this. Right. This isn't, woman, you don't have a brain. You can't do things. This isn't, (laughs) you're inferior to a man. Shut up. That's not what this is. It's saying, it's saying, this truth came to Adam; that was the original structure. He gave it to Eve. She totally enjoyed it and rejoiced in it, and together they carried it out. Mm-hmm. What's well, the same thing here? Mm-hmm. He's saying, in the yep. order in this church, in this disorder, my my view of order amongst the family, my view of order in the church, is the creation theology. It's the biblical presuppositions we've had from the beginning what does that then look like? Well, it looks like the woman receiving the truth primarily from the man on the front end, right? And then living it out with the man and her not reversing that role and taking the lead. That's all it's saying. Correct. Which is exactly what we saw in the garden. That's all I'm getting at. Okay.
0: Yep. So just give some, uh, some thoughts now on some specific words. So, Learn quietly here. So, you could let's look at that phrase learn quietly. So, first things first in some cultures and during some times, w- women were so abused that they weren't even permitted to learn. Like, you can't even teach a woman. Like, that's not saying that this is not saying that at all like let a woman learn she is to learn she is to be educated she is to know these things she is to know doctrine she's to know theology she is to learn but there's a qualifier she is to learn quietly with all submissiveness so positively she is to learn she is to be educated but there is there's still an order to things when she is to learn she is to learn quietly And we could even, we could even, this is very much consistent with, with 1 Corinthians 14 too. It's like when prophecy is being weighed, a woman is to remain quiet. So very, again, all this is very consistent. All this meshes well together. There is no contradiction. We can jump to different books and different letters and different parts of the Bible. And we see this pattern everywhere. So in the church, the gathered church, a woman is to learn quietly. Uh, And if she has something to say, we could even think of 1 Corinthians 14, she should ask her husband at home. Very very consistent. So, a part of her expressing a submissive heart or a submissive spirit is learning quietly. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach. Okay, the next phrase that we're going to look at, to teach, what does that mean? Uh, To teach what? Well, if we look at all the... The times that this Greek word to teach is used in the New Testament, it almost always is in reference to the teaching of doctrine or the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of the will of God as revealed in the scriptures. So we could sum it up and, and just say it's the teaching of doctrine,
1: biblical doctrine, which is the whole the con- which is the whole context of Timothy right, exactly I mean, he does- We're in the church. We're in the church, he's telling Timothy teach doctrine in the end times, yep. wrong, wrong doctrines going to come in, and that's part yep. part of the the dual purpose of Timothy here is that they're dealing with these false teachers. Yep. that are bringing in wrong doctrine. So he's going so the first word teach is just consistent within the whole context. Exactly. Teach doctrine. So, yep. Yep. So, I do not permit a woman
0: to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So, we have these two things. We have teaching and Extra, the exercising of authority, and they're both in reference to a man. So yeah, we'll and that, see.
1: And by the way, that's a coordinating conjunction. It, it ties those two together. It ties teaching and authority together. Yeah, there's a sense since they're tied together. Yes. So part of part of demonstrating authority is teaching, and, right. and to teach right. is demonstrating authority. I mean, they're tied together. Does that make sense? Right. They're not like two right. separate. They're not yep. a totally makes two sense. separate things yeah
0: right now it is to say like they are connected but they're not they're not in they're not totally connected in the sense of there can be an exercisement of authority that's not teaching if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah there can be so a woman yeah. could st- uh, yep so a woman could still have could be exercising some form of authority without teaching but when you teach doctrine, you are always exercising. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? If that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. um, so you could have a woman that says, "Well, I'm not teaching, but hey, you, yeah, you're, but you're, but you're considered. Maybe you hold some authoritative position within the church, and yeah, you might not be teaching, but that still doesn't mean that you can have that position. Let's say, mm-hmm. as an example. Um, but if a woman says, "Well, I don't have any authority in the church," but then she goes up in the pulpit and starts teaching doctrine, well. You're you're exercising authority now, even if you say you're not. So that's where we have to define that a little bit. When when you're teaching doctrine, you are inevitably exercising authority over those who are learning from you. Always. Now, this isn't prohibiting women. um, Well, totally. Let me me say something, though, Sam. Okay. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that because. of course it should be that way. That is, if you're teaching doctrine, right? If you're teaching yeah. doctrine, that's the context here. The church, we're teaching doctrine. You should be teaching as though you're teaching the very words of God, which is authoritative. <laughs> which is authoritative. Yeah. <laughs> it, you almost have to qualify that because I think when you say that, and I know I know your mindset when you think that when you say pulpit, you're using the term pulpit. You're you're basically saying you're taking this position. That you are uh, teaching the Word of God, which is authoritative. Yes. And that's different than getting up in a place called a pulpit, whatever a church looks like to have a pulpit, and said, hey, by the way, we're having a potluck on Sunday. (laughs) You know, there is a difference. Right. You know, the woman gets up and <laughs> right. makes an announcement. Hey, we got a you know vacation Bible school. We need volunteers. Right. Uh, now there would be some people that wouldn't even want that done in that structure, in that order of the service. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna debate that right now. This is talk, right. Yeah. This, what, we're not this, gonna debate that. Yep. This, this specifically is talking about teaching doctrine and authority. Yes. It doesn't mean singing yes. a song or reading a scripture or announcing the potluck or giving some instructions right. somewhere. That's there's a big difference. Right.
0: right. Right. And specifically, okay, we we asked the question, what is cuz here's here's why this is oh man, this why this cuts against the grain and is so offensive to so many people today because it's prohibiting women from doing something. And as soon as you start to prohibit women from doing something, you're labeled as a misogynist. You're labeled as a sexist. Yeah. You're labeled as right. all these things. Um, you hate women. You're a woman hater. Whatever it is, um, y- you know y- you don't think women are valuable, or you don't think women have have something to offer. That's it's like no. That's no. You're that's slander. Actually, that's not what we're saying. And again, we we go back to this beautiful pattern. This beautiful. Reality and truth that God is, is a triune God, three persons, one God, and that they had diff- the, the, the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, ha- had different roles. The Son was the one that came down in the, and took on the form of a man and humbled himself. Humbled himself by, being, by becoming a man. And the Father did not do that. The Son did that. The Spirit did not take on the form of a man. The Son did. And the Son then submitted to the will of the Father. The Son submitted to the, the will of the Father that the Son would die on a cross for the sins of, hum, of the world. And, and to then say that that means that the Son is somehow inferior or less than the Father is absolute ridiculousness. It's just ridiculous. It's actually heresy. <laughs> the Father and the Son are equal in every way but different in role. So you can't say that just because women are being prohibited from doing something some role within the church or within the family that somehow they're inferior or less than men. You you can't make that argument because the Bible never ever 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 even says that even clo- like doesn't even come close to saying such a thing. So hopefully that's been made clear because I think we've we've kind of be- <laughs> we've beat that drum on in basically every episode because that is what's being said today um so many people today say well if there's a difference in role that automatically means that the women is inferior or whatever no that's not what we're saying it's not what the bible says so these two restrictions what, what's what a woman what is a woman being restricted from doing well she, one she's not to teach doctrine to men okay we got that she's not to teach teach what teach doctrine She's not to teach doctrine to men, because we do see in other places that a woman does have a role in teaching children, and we would sure hope that she's teaching <laughs> sound doctrine and truths of the Bible to her children. I would hope that she's doing that, and we also see, and we'll get there, Titus too. she's also to teach younger women. So specifically in this text, we see that she's not to teach doctrine to men. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, hey, a man wants to learn how to to knit a sweater and, you know, uh, some older lady in the church teaches him how to knit a sweater. Like, (laughs) it's not what we're saying. Like, teach doctrine. Teach the Bible to men. That's what she's being prohibited from doing. And then the second prohibition is she's not to exercise authority over a man. Now, again teaching by necessity is an exercisement of authority but there there can also be an exercisement of authority that isn't teaching and she's prohibited from doing that as well and it's specifically in the context of men now that's what's being prohibited and obviously we could get on we could we could wade into the application of that well how does that look today what can a woman do or not do within our local church um, and we have some specific, you know, places where we would come down and says, well, uh, she can't, you know, we say pulpit, she can't get into the pulpit and, and preach a message from the word of God, um, to the congregation. She can't do that because that is an exercisement of authority over men. She can't do that. <laughs> and I, it just, it's so funny. Oh, I, I shouldn't say it's funny, but it just, that's just like to today's world. That just sounds so horrible. Like, how dare you say that? <laughs> but, but that's what it's saying. And it, it's so odd to me that it, that just seems so awful.
1: <laughs> well, and again, Sam, you know, I think you're right. I mean, we're dealing—this would be one of those interpretive things we're dealing with. You've already emphasized exercise, authority, teach. I would still come back and say, though, that in this context, that verse— it appears to me that what's in their mind is a woman standing up and having authority to teach doctrine. Yeah. And that's primarily the focus there, not that there couldn't be some application. Right. So the reason I say that is because clearly when a woman were, was allowed to prophesy, right, she's bringing truth to the table when she's prophesying. Right. But the right. weighing of it out, the weighing out, right, would be done by the men. We've already touched it right. in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but my point in that is, so I'm at home with my wife and she says, hey, I was reading this thing today and and I thought about this a lot. And she begins to, quote unquote, teach me, meaning like she's yeah. learning something. I'm, oh, that's a great insight. Yeah. That's not what this is prohibiting. Right. Not prohibiting my wife from teaching me something that she's learned in the scripture. Right. Like she's always never allowed to speak up with me. Right. This is talking again in the context of the order of this church of her standing up and teaching doctrine to the church. Right, right. That's really the I think the focus here. Right, right, right. Yep, yep, absolutely. Because we would go back to other passages when it talks about authority, and I'm agreeing with you. There's a there's a, 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 a what's the word? Just blank my mind. Um, there's an i applic- say an application of this, an implication of this. Uh, of, yeah. you know exercising authority well yeah that, but, but, but in light of that relationally in the context let's say of a family um, I would go back to other passages like Ephesians 5 and go clear, right. clearly there right we, you know which we've already labored but my point is is this specifically the specific point of this application has to do with this community that's gathering and the woman is not supposed to have this kind of biblical doctrinal authority. Is that right. fair? I mean, I'm trying to emphasize I think that's that. totally fair. Yeah. And
0: here we have a little bit of an interpret, or a, a hermeneutical um, thing that we see here. Uh, <laughs> I call it a thing. It's called an inclusio. Uh, as you're like, what the heck does that mean? It's You can consider it as bookends. And so what do we see here? Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly. So we have this word quietly. With all the submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So... This whole thing is wrapped up in this in this word quiet or quietly. Those are these two bookends. We call that an inclusio in, in hermeneutic jargon, um, and it's really just bookends. So all of this stuff, not teaching, not exercising authority over man, it's wrapped up in this in this context of quiet, being quiet, remaining quiet. And again, that doesn't mean. It's 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 again. It's connected to this. It's connected to this teaching. It's connected to this exercising authority. It's connected to we can think of 1 Corinthians fourteen. It's connected to the way into prophecy. It doesn't mean that again. We've already seen in First Corinthians eleven that she can pray and prophecy in the local assembly. So it, it, the quietness isn't in regard to that, but the quietness is in regard to is in regard to teaching, exercising authority. Uh, and in a sense, being quiet is the display of a submissive spirit or a submissive
1: woman. Yeah. Um, which is in contrast to the external adornment. Right. In the, exactly. whole, the whole context is like, okay, the biggest thing here is that you should be demonstrating a certain spirit about you. Yes.
0: A certain behavior, yeah, that's well, not heard but seen. Yeah, in a sense. well,
1: and that behavior demonstrates what I'm saying is the spirit yeah. about you. You know, uh, yep. Uh, because remember, Ephesians five was all in the context of a spirit-filled life, right? So, a spirit-filled woman should, a woman who 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 knows Christ and is yielding to the Holy Spirit in her life, should demonstrate a certain, uh, uh, a reference, a certain look, a certain. Uh, demonstration of the fruits of the spirit yep and that's what he's getting at here okay
0: yep okay so i think we labored that enough we'll just move on now to to what we've been saying paul's argument here why 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 paul why is a woman to remain quiet why is she to be submissive uh why shouldn't she be teaching or exercising authority well verse 13 why paul for adam was formed first then Eve. again Mm-hmm. He said this so many times. <laughs> this is always what he goes back to. It's incredible. He is always, always going back to this this creation design, this creation pattern, mm-hmm. and this totally defeats every argument that this is just uh, this is just cultural. Well, this is only for the culture. You know, you might hear an argument. And it's often said that well, in the Ephesian community, in the Ephesian city. Uh, just the way that the culture was, not even not even in re- reference to the church, but just in general, that this would have been so offensive to the culture that the church was just, in a sense, capitulating to the culture so as not to cause a stir in the community. So the culture says women have to remain quiet. So we as the church are just going to do the same thing so that we don't cut against the grain and... and, and cause too much of a stir in this community. So it's just cultural. But today, we live in an egalitarian society today, so this would be different for today because we don't have these cultural norms that we have to conform to. (laughs) But that's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And we know it's ridiculous because Paul specifically grounds this statement in the creation pattern. For Adam was formed for his than Eve. This is for all time. This is for us today. To This is for us today. And Adam was not deceived. Now, okay, put a pause on that. Here we have something interesting, though. Paul has frequently referred back to the fact that Adam was made first, and then Eve was made from Adam for Adam. But this is the first time that we have Adam specifically referencing the temptation and the fall in Genesis three, and Adam was not deceived, but woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So now that now that's interesting. Now that's interesting. Like here's one of those things where we could get okay. Now we can have a discussion on what why Adam decided to bring that in. Like we get it. We get the pattern that because the man was formed first, uh, he he's the authority. He's the head of the family. And the woman is to submit to him because she was formed second from him for him. We got it. Boom. He's been laying that out in all these passages. But now we have him bringing in another thing. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So the way that I read this and why I think Paul mentioned this was this, okay, what was was Eve doing? When she was being deceived by Satan. So Satan purposely and intentionally usurped the divine order of authority and decided to go to Eve instead of Adam. Adam's ahead, he's the one that's responsible for the family. And so he should have been the one having the discussion with Satan. But Satan, knowing this, goes to Eve instead.
1: Well, even when you say family, Sam, let's just stick with our context here. He was given the responsibility to glorify God by carrying the truth. Yeah. I mean, when this whole thing started, God gave him the truth. He was supposed yep. to. He damn, gave
0: him the commandment.
1: Yeah. Yep. He was the head of carrying this reality of 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 speaking it, living it out. Right. And then the if you want to say family, then wife, the woman comes alongside of that. God-given mission to the whole package, right? It started yep. with Adam, he's the head, but it's given to all of them to speak and live out reality, which is truth. Yep. So.
0: Right. So. So then, here's here's the situa- situation that Eve is in. She is has been taught the Word of God by Adam. She's confronted by Satan. Satan's questioning the command of God, he's bringing, he's he's planting a seed of doubt in her to question what God has said, she is left now on the defensive, she now has to defend the word of God, and in this process of defending the word of God, she actually is deceived. Mm-hmm. Satan wins the battle, he deceives her. He gets her to actually go against the word of God which prohibited her from eating of the tree and she actually eats of the tree. And she actually eats of the tree because she actually thinks that this is going to make her wise and become like God. Mm-hmm. When in all reality, this would not make her wise and become like God. This would lead to death as God said. Mm-hmm. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. So she was deceived. Mm-hmm now so it seems as though contextually with what, all that's going on, there's false teachers in this church they're, you, they're, they're totally flipping upside down the whole the whole order that God has put in place. Um, you know it's just crazy disorder. there's false false doctrine going around and people are being deceived. people are being deceived by these false teachers. there's deception happening. And Paul makes a point to say, when he's defending his position, that a woman should remain quiet, that she should not teach or exercise authority of a man. And part of his justification for this, he's not only talks about the the the, the making of man and woman, but he also talks about the, the 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 fall of man and woman. And why I think he 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 brings in this this truth that adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived well if the woman decides or if in this church the 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 woman in the church start to occupy the role of teaching and defending the word of god there's going to be a higher chance you could say of deception taking place um and again i don't want to say this too i don't want to say this too dogmatically Because you can get into some hairy ground here. Um, But there seems to be this case that when women lead the church, or if women were to occupy the role of a man in the church, this church is going to, you know, go down the tubes, you could say. It's going to go down the tubes. Uh, This church is going to fall into deception. It's going to be easily deceived. Um, Again, it's hard to really... uh, because what I what would be easy to say is that the woman is more the woman is more easily able to be deceived, and that could be the case. But what do you think about that, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> what you want me to? I d- mean, this is go ahead. It's a little bit difficult. It's oh, a little Well, here's
1: why this gets difficult. Okay, is that because even when we go to the Genesis account, there's some clear things we can say. But there's some holes that aren't fully filled in. So, okay, so Eve is known as the one that was deceived, but Adam wasn't. But there is a sense in which Adam was in sin as well, right? And so there's a lot we're hanging on this word deceived, like Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't deceived. What do we really mean by all of that? Because obviously Adam bought into the lie as well. By the time it's done, he bought into it, he gave in. Right. So, you know, what's this all meaning again? And I would want to emphasize, rather than, to your point, could a woman be more deceived than a man? I'm not sure it's saying that. It could. You're right. It right. Could, it, it could, could be. mean that. It could. I mean, it could. But, but definitively, again, what I want to do is I want to camp on what we know for sure. And what we right. know for sure here, and the, I still think the thing that he's emphasizing is this creation order. That's why that's so big to me. Is right. that, that the emphasis was Adam was to carry this truth, and Eve came alongside him to carry it out. And Adam right. couldn't do it without her, but they were to carry this truth, if I could say it that way. And when I say truth, I mean reality. And the reality is both God's spoken reality, mandates, you know, indicatives, imperatives, but it's also to carry out the way God created it. There's a reality. That's reality. Working the garden a certain way, uh, putting a seed in the ground grows a certain way. That's truth. You see, that's yeah. all reality. And man was created... To uh, step into God's reality and speak it and to live it, right, and yep. and so another way to say that that glorifies God, and when God is glorified, we do well. I heard it said one time. I think that's really a great mm-hmm. way to say it. Like we flourish when we're in the center of God's will, glorifying God because it's what we were created for. So with that said, it was Adam that was the head of this, if you want to say, carrying this truth. Mm-hmm. And so in the order of this worship again, Paul's leaning to that saying, just like Adam was to the, the, be the front runner, if you will, the head of carrying this truth, so it still should be this way. Mm-hmm. So, now, to go further than that, we could, as you use the word speculate and go, well, maybe, maybe the woman operates differently, not because she's, as you said, I mean, it's not that she's not as smart, but maybe she bought into something else or you know we could have that whole discussion right right but at that point at that point we'd be going beyond exactly what the scriptures say and we would be speculating and you can do that sometimes you can fill in some holes say i wonder i'll bet it's this or this or this right you know we've talked about that even you know and we'll get more to that in application but I'm not to this specifically, but clearly, men tend te- tend to operate a little bit differently than women do. Women are more yep. relational; men are more task oriented. We could have that whole discussion right. and kind of fill in holes with that a little bit. Right. But but I'm as you can tell, I'm like I'm always cautious of that stuff. Whether it even whether it even adds stuff to our discussion, I'm cautious about it. Right simply because i want to emphasize like we always are trying to what does god clearly say here yeah and the the point here is god is leaning leaning on uh the creation beginning that adam was to lead in this truth eve was to come alongside of that and here is what paul is emphasizing right so we could go to those other reasons like why is there a difference between men and women or those things that, that probably is. There's probably stuff there. I'm not debating yeah. that. But right. this this is a clear imperative <laughs> command from God that this is what you're supposed to do. Right. And he frames it in right. the context of the creation account. And so as you can tell, I'm probably cautious. I don't want to say more Well, right. I want to say what God says. I want to be real clear. We're you know, your your podcast right. is preach and persuade. Right. What's What's a preacher do? I was just looking yesterday at at uh, Peter that I'm leading a bunch of men in a Bible study on Peter, and and he literally says, "Whoever speaks, do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God." Yeah. And I remember when that hit me as a young man, just developing ministry thirty years ago. It was like, if I'm going to say something, man, with an integrity before God, I I want to say what God is clearly saying. And if God right. either either doesn't it doesn't seem like it's clear, or it's not clear to me, because I have to do more study and stuff. I'm going to be pretty cautious about weighing in. Right. That's all I'm saying. That doesn't make me passive or you know, giving up on something. I some things I do need to work harder at and study more. I mean, right. I, I, right. I, I mean There's so many right. things to study. You know. But right. So, so you could be right, Sam. There's something about her being deceived there that might be even us a, a little bit different between a man and a woman. I don't know. Right. But at the end of the day, even that. So anybody listening to us remember what happened here God came to Adam Yeah He had to you know God had to become the second Adam I mean it wasn't like right. a second Eve He did right. ho- he did hold Adam responsible so so however it played yep. out even right. in even in there's a even if we said difference between a woman and a man there's possibly some stuff there but man was held responsible when 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 this showed up he caved he gave into it Yep and so yep. even now, God's saying, no, here's his word. In the church, men, you are to lead in this doctrine, man. Yep. And we could have a whole discussion about women and their roles and what they do strength-wise, what they don't do strength-wise. We would end up at a bell-shaped curve because women are you know, different, like men can be different. Yep. But there's these general truths and realities to some of these discussions. Yep. So I just, I just think it's clear. And again, the only reason that we have such an argument Conflict with this for me, Sam, is that we have a culture with this huge pressure against us. Yeah, it says it's not. They have an agenda. Yeah, and I'm just always thinking, think of that. It's just amazing to me. I heard somebody comment about something the other day about, you know, somehow we're making progress because in this one area of life, you know, men and women are being more and more equal. And I, I want to, at least in their roles, the way this certain thing is playing itself out. And I wanted to. My, my reaction and my guts was sitting there. I didn't say anything in the conversation. It wasn't. Place to do it but i thought what makes us think that's improvement <laughs> yeah i mean what well, you know for four thousand years it was a certain way and now somehow in our culture we're really improving this thing
0: oh yeah and i'm like, improving god's uh, god's design yeah and i want to go
1: assess who uh, how do we yeah. think that you know and so yeah i, I the just, arrogance so going back to our text here i just think it's really clear he's grounding this in the creation account Men yep. are, it's very clear. Men are to lead teaching in the doctrine of the church. The women are not supposed to. Uh, he grounds it in creation. And I mean, it just seems pretty yep. clear to me. And, and again, it's very clear. It's very clear. And, and and being quiet isn't women keep your mouth shut. You can't, nothing to say. That's that's right. not what that's saying. No. It's saying in this context, this is the roles that you guys play in this context. Yep. Right? So,
0: there's a time and there's a place. Yep. So, yes. So, again, we're, we're, we're getting, we're kind of wading into some of these. Okay. What does this mean? What does this mean? But the clear teaching of the text is actually very, very, very explicit, very clear. Yeah. Very, very clear. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's very clear. That's, that's, there's no debate over that, actually. There's no Mm -hmm. debate. Like, people want to debate it, but it's very, very clear. And then, and then, we have a very clear reference to the to the creation design. Again, very clear. For Adam was reformed first and Eve. So this is grounded in God's creative order. Very clear. Now, again, what's not so clear? Well, is there something actually uh, like, is a woman just in the way she's made just more susceptible to being deceived? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Now. What, what seems to be clear, though, is that there is a consequence to the reversal of the order. If women start to teach and preach in the church, and if, if they start to exercise authority over men in the church, there's going to be a consequence. Mm-hmm. And the consequence is this, that this church will be susceptible and open to deception.
1: Mm.
0: And that, that's cl- actually clear. Like, th- th- when you, when you, when you us- usurp God's design— and you act arrogantly and thinking, you know, God, this is what you've said and this is how you've designed us, but we're gonna do this instead, and we'll be fine. No, you won't be fine, actually. There will be consequences. Mm-hmm. And the consequences aren't just, oh, a mere slap on the wrist. The consequences are deception, meaning you could be you could be you could be led away from the true gospel of God into believing false things in which will inevitably lead to Death or hell or missing the way of salvation, like these false teachers aren't—they're not coming to just rattle things up a little bit. Like they're no, they're coming to actually deceive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, yeah. and who's the ultimate deceiver? Satan. This isn't just a, a minor deception. This is a this is a big deal thing. Like a woman being deceived by Satan, it it wasn't this minor thing. Like, it caused the fall of all humanity. Every single person now is born, fallen, with a sinful nature, separated from God, deserving of eternal torment and punishment for their sin because Eve was deceived and because Adam didn't step in place, in his place.
1: Right, and and in both cases, in both cases, Sam... It was the deception, but there's like this subtle step before the deception that we're always trying to emphasize. And again, right. for somebody that's listened to has probably heard it say a hundred times, but it has to do with authority. Meaning like yeah. like Satan got her to question yes. God's authority. Yes. See, that's, again, everything we're doing. That's why I'm always saying, set the pieces on the table. What did God say? And again, here, there's some clear things God's saying. That's the stuff we. I'm trying to emphasize. I hope I'm somehow doing that in this podcast. Like, yeah, I know. Like, like the other stuff is probably true. There's other implications, ramifications, speculations. Yep. We could go there. Some of them are probably yep. accurate. They really are. I'm not that, that. But I want to emphasize what's being emphasized. And yeah. the piece on the table is very clear. And so what happened in the garden was Satan got her to question God. Yeah. I mean, it really was. Does God really say? Yeah. Oh yeah. And even before she made that decision to, to capitulate to his deception, yeah. she, oh, I wonder if God's telling the truth here, or yeah. maybe there's something I don't know, maybe something I need to think about, maybe I think something yep. I need to articulate. Maybe XYZ author in his 700-page book really has something <laughs> to offer me on this. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you know where I'm going with that, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I, just, yeah. <laughs> I just get so frustrated. Like, no. No, so right. That's that was the inherent problem. Yep. She just yep. Did, she just didn't trust what God said, and so even here, right. I would ask anybody that's feeling uncomfortable about this, reread this and say, what is this saying? What is this command yep. here? What is the command here? Right. And rather, than, and instead of going to well that doesn't seem fair, or that was this, or that was that. Just say, wait a minute, before you try to articulate this all the way and sophisticate it all the way, it just seems really clear. Yeah. Again, that's what we've been emphasizing. This has been a pattern forever. Oh, man. I just find, it, I find it fascinating. you know. And, and with that pattern, it's just so fascinating to me that, okay, so again, we want to stick, this is preach and persuade. We're sticking to the Word of God, and I want to. An added thing, I've been thinking a lot again, because we I knew we were going to get into this today, and I've been contemplating it for the last couple of weeks, ruminating on it. That's the word meditate, by the way. Ruminate, like a cow chewing yeah. on his cud, right? <laughs> no, I just find it fascinating that, that throughout mankind, the the civilization of the world, humanity, there are these, you could say, patterns that are consistent throughout all of humanity, regardless if people knew God or not even. Mm-hmm. you know we, we we you can look into uh i was uh well your comrade uh you know our comrade brandon smith you know he yeah. he was reading some stuff about the Native Americans, you know, plenty coup and the way yeah, yeah. young men pursued native women and and all this sort of stuff and and you know they didn't have you know maybe some of them had the revelation of God that we don't know about, I mean there's stories about how maybe God appeared to people and brought stuff to them, but apart from that, I'm just talking about. They didn't have this biblical reality sitting before them, and yet you look at these 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 uh, uh, tribal uh, native people, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of things that were just very consistent. I mean, like women kind of dressed and acted like women, and men, yep. young men, acted like young men and I just find it fascinating nobody had to teach this it wasn't like they were misogynistic or influenced by some you know some white something it had nothing to do with white patriarchal yeah yeah it was like no 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 why why did they kind of gravitate towards that same kind of system right why did the men go off to battle and the women stay home yeah (laughs) and have children and and why why because it's 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 woven by God into the creation Yes. And it's a natural flow that everybody can see. Yeah, And, I, and, and so this, this push against it from a, an academia, secular world is so weird to me. Like, you know, I have a good friend of mine uh, from North Dakota there, Stefan Ho, he says, you know, God created a moral universe and you can't defy it. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, you can. People do it all the time in the depravity of man, but there's a consequence for it. is always a consequence. His point is, is he created a world to work a certain way. Yeah. And and when a society whether they know the revelation of God or not actually participates in what's kind of intuitive in the natural revelation of life, yep. Uh, you know, they kind of flourish. That's why that's why they do that. Because it right. kind of works. Well, why yeah. does it kind of work? Well, because it's the way God made it. So again, right. that was more just a, a on on the side rumination for me that I've been thinking a lot about like isn't it yeah. it's interesting that we even have to have this conversation because even people that don't have the scriptures open before them pretty much apply this stuff yeah if you their, look
0: throughout history
1: they they, yep. s- they do they were you know
0: yep yep so yeah i mean <laughs> i mean uh, we keep saying hey it's pretty clear oh hey it's pretty clear hey look yeah. it's according to the to the pattern oh hey look he looks yeah. he looks back to genesis one through three again wow Well, wow, isn't that cool like over and over and over and over and over again it's like yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it's that's what's so it's it's burdensome because yeah we are living in a culture that is is being deceived like oh man people are getting deceived the youth of today are being deceived and <laughs> and what takes people out of the deception is the word of god so we need to be all the more willing and and bold to proclaim the truth of god unashamedly like i I need to be able to say unashamedly, hey, look at what the Scripture says. You know, y- you, you hear questions all the time. And I know I'm jumping a little bit to application, but it's it's somewhat just so obvious in the text. It's like you always hear the question, well, can women be pastors? Can women be pastors? Can women be pastors? Uh, no. Uh, why? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with also submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach her exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's why. Like, yeah, that's it. And I I don't need to be ashamed of that. I don't need to be I don't need to be feel like I'm, you know, and then I might be called. Well, that's sexist. That's misogynistic. That's 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 horrible. It's like, uh, no, it's not. That's not, it's not at all. It's actually beautiful. It's actually a wonderful thing. It's mm-hmm. actually according God, to God's design and it produces human flourishing. And actually, when a woman does take the role of a man, becomes a pastor, and is preaching and teaching in the church, that actually will lead to great deception and it will lead people astray. That's what's horrible. And that needs to also be said. And, and we we can't be ashamed of it. We can't act like we're just saying something horrible. We're saying something wonderful and good. We're, we're saying the very word of God. And that's good. Amen. And <laughs> so, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Like, if you're in a church where your pastor is a woman, I'd say get the heck out of there. Like, without even, like, get the heck out of there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because you are the 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 doors are wide open for mass deception.
1: Well, and Sam, I would even go further. Since you're an application, maybe we shouldn't get too ahead. You know, there's just, there's entire denominations moving that direction, right? Oh yes. And I just say, oh, the, tired, yeah. The it the the, I mean, the handwriting's on the wall.
0: Oh yeah, it's Nebuchadnezzar, and the hand goes on the wall. Boom, there it is. You're, I
1: mean, it's,
0: you're, you're gonna die.
1: <laughs> and I'd be saying, no, you can't. Because you, you you've just stepped into something that is contrary to to, to again yeah. a pattern we've been showing for four thousand years. Right. It's very clear, and it can't be good.
0: No, it can't, it's it's not it's not even like a see, and, it's and, not even like a suggestion. It's like no, this is forbidden.
1: Yeah, and see, and and so somebody doesn't hear what you're not saying. <laughs> it's really interesting because oh. it sounds like you're somebody could say, "Oh, you're saying." that woman is dumber or not or you know not as smart or she's going to lead in deception no that's not the point it's a much larger point that god designed it to work a certain way right and where and where deception comes in is when we violate the way he's created it to work yes it's not inherent in that one person that female standing there she could be a lovely person and right really smart and and, right. and have studied some stuff really really well. Not even questioning that. That's not the point. The point is is that God has had a pattern from day one. Yes. And there's and we could go to there's reasons for it, and we probably could yep. pull out some reasons. But the bigger thing we keep emphasizing is that even apart from all the reasons and having that debate, God just says it. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really clear.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's finish up the text now. Here we get to another one of these confusing things. Verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing.
1: (laughs) And now there's been a whole bunch of debate on that. Okay, but but I love this, Sam. Let me say something about this, though, okay? Yes. Okay, so (laughs) no, there's some specific words here that come into question. I think we brought a couple of them up in the introduction. But listen, read this passage, the entire passage from 8 on down. Yep. We've been emphasizing this whole issue of men leading in doctrine in the church. Yep. And that's not the woman's role. That's all we're saying. And then look at your first word. Your first word, at least in the English, in all your English translations. Uh, it's not the first word in the Greek per se. I mean, it is, but it's not. We have this... this uh, reality of which what you would yours? are you're reading esv yeah and what does your first word in 15 say yet yet mine says but same right. thing okay so there's this transition right like yep or contrast yep right there's a coordinating there's a contrast here here's the role in the church what the men are supposed to do here's what it is women you don't do that role that's the man's role yep now Let's let's take the spotlight off that a minute and put the spotlight on you women and say, yeah. but here's where you shine. Here's yeah. where here's where you and that's what I want to make emphasis. This isn't let's dim the light now and say, oh, by the way, woman, you get to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. This you is a go this shovel is the, the horse no. crap.
1: <laughs> this is a spotlight over here on this roll. Yep. And making it clear and now he's going to put the spotlight over here on the woman's role her lane if you call it again in the west i know like you got a lot of people around the world we kind of go stay in your lane which means you're driving down a lane stay in your lane you're you're supposed to be in a certain lane stay there or your sphere or this is where you flourish or this is where you glorify god okay that's what he's going to say now right that again that's the bigger emphasis to me okay it's not over here here here's where you're gonna gonna flourish
0: Yep, and it's just as awesome. That's the it's point. just awesome, in it it's just awesome in a different way.
1: It doesn't mean it's secondary, inferior, right. less than. That's not it. It's not it right. at all. Okay, go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yet she will be saved through childbearing. Okay, the 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 big debate on this text.
1: There's two is there's two, this, two big words, right? Yeah,
0: b- childbearing saved. Yep. So, let's talk first about this. The word "saved," yet she will be saved. Okay. Again, this is where, where uh, what we call a systematic theology or a systematic approach to this, to hermeneutics, is very important. Uh, nowhere Scripture does not contradict Scripture. God is—he uh, doesn't contradict himself. He speaks truth. <laughs> and so we have, we have throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, and all of Paul's writing, the doctrine of salvation is very, very clear. We are justified. We are saved by faith in Christ alone, not by works, not by anything else, not by the law, not by circumcision, not by anything but faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. That's how you are justified. And if we want to really hammer it out a little bit more finer, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring up the words like propitiation. Uh, you have sin. Your sin needs to be punished. Your sin is imputed or accredited to Christ. Christ is punished in your place for your sin. And then you are imputed or accredited his righteous life through faith. So that's the more detailed approach to this reality that we're saved by faith, through faith in Christ. That's how we're saved. Our sin is punished on Christ. Christ's righteousness is given to us, justified. Now we're illegally righteous before God. Mm -hmm. That's how we're saved. So when we read the words, yet she will be saved through childbearing, it obviously isn't talking about justification because childbearing <coughs> or bearing children does not – that can't save. That can't save. How can that save somebody? So so we know that it's not saying saved in an ultimate or justifying way. But now saved – the word saved is used um, – Certainly in the New Testament, it's primarily used in the context of salvation. Like, salvation. You're saved from your sin. You're saved from your sin. But there's there's a... This is where it can get a little bit confusing. In most cases, it is in reference to justification. But salvation has three facets to it, you could say. You have justification, which is being made legally righteous before God, and that takes place at what we would call conversion. Like, think about, when did you come to Christ? You might you might hear somebody say, and somebody might say, oh, when I was 12 years old, I remember, you know, coming to Christ or whatever. I remember receiving the Lord or whatever. That's, that's justification. It happens at conversion. It happens at um, uh, when, when you believe in Christ and repent of your <coughs> sin. Justification. Then we have what's called sanctification. And sanctification is is this progressive ongoing process of being continually conformed to the image of Christ. It's you are okay, so justification you are legally righteous. Sanctification is you are becoming actually righteous. You are actually becoming holy in the eyes of God. Internally you are you are Being holy, being made holy, being conformed to the image of Christ. You're being sanctified. You're actually becoming obedient uh, to Christ and to his law and to his word. And so that's sanctification, and that's progressive. That's taking—if you're a Christian right now, you are in the process of sanctification. You are being sanctified. You are being made holy. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. And then finally, we have what's called glorification. And that's when you are given a new body. The perishable is swallowed up, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is swallowed up by the imperishable. Uh, You are this finite, temporal, fallen creature in this fallen broken body and one day those who have been justified and those who have have you know been being (laughs) that's a weird way to say but been being sanctified uh will finally and ultimately be glorified which is they will be given a new body they will be made completely new they will be resurrected completely and they no longer will be able to sin they will be completely holy completely righteous. No longer tempted by sin, no longer able to sin. That's glorification, and that takes place um, when Christ returns. And that um, is the state that you live in for eternity future in the new heavens and the new earth. So you will never reach glorification in this life until either, one, you die and go to heaven, or two, Christ returns and gives you your new body. Now, so... Those are ways in which this word saved is used. It's primarily used for justification, but it can be used for both sanctification and glorification. And context constrains the, the interpretation of, of the word saved. Um, so in well, this context— Sam, Sam can I okay, say something?
1: Yeah. One thing I'm always emphasizing with folks, especially when I'm uh, sharing the gospel, I, I'll go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 often. For by yeah. grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. And I want to define all those words, even with um, right. even a non Christian who I'm explaining this to. And I'll talk about the word saved. Okay, I'll say saved. And I said, what's that yep. word saved mean? If I were to take an English dictionary and look up that word saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay, here's the point technically, anytime it's even used in, 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 in Greek literature, um, it does mean to be rescued. Yeah. To be saved, I, you know, I was saved from the burning house. I was saved from a car accident. I was rescued. Yep. Okay, so yep. technically, it does mean rescued always. Yeah. Now, yep. in the church, in Christianity, in the New Testament, we take that word "saved," which, again, in a technical way, you could say means rescued,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we pour meaning into it. And hmm. so, the, so you get that meaning from the context, not from the technical. Definition of the word, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: and so so most of the time in the New Testament writings, when when we're talking about being saved, we are meaning a religious idea of of salvation, right. But technically, saved
0: from what? Saved from
1: the wrath of God. Yeah, you're being rescued, right? And so right. um, So with that, obviously, there's the justification. You step through this door justification you've been justified before god you just said that i've been rescued from my sin i've been rescued by god but then there's other passages right where not only uh was i rescued i'm being rescued (laughs) yeah i'm in the process of sanctification i'm being rescued from my sin there's an ongoing reality of being rescued yep though there was this front step through the door being rescued right so I'm rescued from a car accident and I'm laying in a hospital and I'm recovering from the from the injuries. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm being saved. I am right. In this process, right? And and of course I know you know you carry on, Sam. But that's going to lend itself to how Paul uses it here.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And our English
1: and so. and our English translations pick up on this. So go ahead. Um,
0: right. Yeah. Exactly, yet she will be saved through childbearing. So it can't be justification because that's only through faith. Now, sanctification, think of uh, a text that really lends itself to this this use of saved as, in a sanctifying way is Philippians 2.12. Uh, work out your salvation uh, with fear and trembling. So this idea of... Uh, we have been saved apart from works, not by works, but this process of being saved now, being sanctified, being conformed in the image of Christ, is a—you could say it's a synergistic thing. You're working it out with God. You are you are doing good works. You are being obedient. You're obeying the Word of God. You are putting to death your sin. You're putting off the old self and putting on the new self. You are resisting temptation. All this is work that you're doing as a Christian now who has been saved. <laughs> Justified. That's right, sanctification. Right. So right. this context in verse 15 seems to be that use of it. She will be saved. She will be, You okay, if you want to use it to be a little bit more clear, she is being sanctified through childbearing. Now, that brings us up to, okay, well, now what does childbearing mean? Well, it seems contextually it means that her life as a woman of of bearing and rearing and taking care of and nurturing – and raising children, and everything that goes into that, like everything that goes into it, is is her, her sphere of sanctification. Her being obedient to her call as a woman, and as her call as a mother, her stepping into that and being obedient to that call into that role as a woman and as mm-hmm. a mother and as a wife actually is good and obedient to the Word of God and actually sanctifies her. Mm-hmm. It actually makes her like Christ. It actually makes her holy. And it actually keeps her from falling into temptation and to mm-hmm. falling into sin. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. So as Dan said, okay, She's been prohibited from operating in the man's sphere. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise the authority over a man. Okay. But here is her sphere. Bearing, rearing, nourishing, taking care of, teaching, loving children. Raising children. Raising the next generation of people who are image bearers of God and who will then go on to affect society and affect the world. Like, it's a... It, like, it's... It, <laughs> you can't overstate how big of a job this is, how big of a role this is to to raise and bear and nourish and take care of the next generation of people who will occupy the earth. Like, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And she's been tasked, and she's been formed, and she's been designed, and she's been equipped by God to do this role. And when she steps into it and does it well, it sanctifies her. So... It makes her like Christ.
1: Yeah, So you carried it out even, yeah, you carried it out real well, Sam. And I would just want to emphasize a couple of things for for people listening. Uh, First of all, when I said English, so if you go to the NIV, it does say, but women will be saved. It used the word, again, English word saved. Uh, In the NASB, it's interesting because it says, but women shall be preserved. Yeah. Preserved. And so, again, the idea here is taking this word and saying, when you operate within the sphere that you operate in, you will become more and more like Christ. You will operate mm-hmm. the way you're supposed to be. You're working out your salvation, if you will. Uh, you're flourishing. You're being all you're supposed to be. You're becoming into the image of Christ when you flourish in the sphere you were supposed to be. And so that, that's what he's saying. You shall be preserved. Yeah. And literally, it's interesting. Paul uses the same exact word. Um, over here in 1 Timothy, um, I was trying to look it up here. Hang on a second, I had it in my notes because I thought it was really interesting. I was reading this. 1 Timothy 4.16, he uses the same word in 1 oh, Timothy yeah. 4.16. Clo- he's telling Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And it's the same thing uh, in in both the NIV and ANASB. It, it translates, that, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation. For both yourself and for those who hear you. Uh, and so the last yeah. sentence here, persevere in them, okay, so carry them out, because if you do, the NI the NIV says, you will save, there's the word, yep, both yourself and your hearers. And the NASB says, um, you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. So it's yeah. not it's not. You save your people because you can't save your people. Jesus does salvation, right? But there's right. a sense in which you are rescuing, you are persevering, you are carrying your people through sanctification if you do these things, Timothy. Yeah.
0: So, so I yep. would
1: say when he's talking about to the woman, he's not talking about salvation, which you've greatly emphasized, but it's this... This is where you operate. This is where you flourish. This is where you will carry out your Christian life in its right. most primary sphere, and it's right here. Right. It's in this, Right. And, and then it goes to the word, which turns into a another discussion, and let's just jump to it. You've already did it. That's what I said, but let me just emphasize it. Is this word uh, uh, the bearing of children or child-rearing or child-bearing? Yep. It seems to be that that's a word... Uh, that's a word. It's a word usage of, of putting a word meaning a whole sphere or realm. So yeah, it, does, it, it doesn't mean... this encompasses many... Go ahead, Sam.
0: Oh, I was going to say it encompasses many fa- areas of this whole thing of <laughs> taking care of children. It's not just one aspect of it, of like giving birth to a child. It's not just that.
1: Right, right. It means more than that. So it's like, I don't know, I was trying to think of a statement... You know, the Kansas City Chiefs pulled it out yesterday. Okay, so, well, what does that mean? It means that they, i bet you can read into it. They won a game, which was a big deal, but they pulled it out, meaning like they, it was a tight, it was tight down to the end and and so the point being is that you make a statement but there's a lot loaded into that and so yeah when it talks like how, about
0: well they threw this touchdown pass well they made this run well they took the they yeah, did yeah. this block they blah 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 blah, blah.
1: And, and we're actually talking about a football game right which we didn't even mention yep. it's, there's an assumption so the point is is that this idea of the bearing of children isn't you're saved by delivering a child right it means you're operating and we're and, and again this is one of those passages that have some difficult interpretations. You can read the commentaries, but I think you and I have already interacted about this. So we're settling with, this is the sphere of where a woman uh, uh, shines. Yep. Her primary responsibility of life is this area of caring for a husband, coming alongside him in the mission, uh, having children, raising children, uh uh, uh, contr- uh what's the word I'm trying to say managing the household yep you know that whole realm that's includes so many 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 tasks yep that frankly i just don't i'm not sure how many of us guys can even do all those tasks when i well right when i watch everything that's done there is like oh my yep. i can't do that right
0: <laughs> right it's amazing right. to me and so, so go ahead well yeah i mean that again what what is uh what has been considered a hard to interpret verse, when you take everything into account, the the meaning, ri- the true meaning seems to rise to the surface. Okay, this makes sense. This makes sense uh, when we take into account the context. When we take into account the pattern of biblical manhood and womanhood. When we take into account mm-hmm. the doctrine of of salvation, in, of itself because when we understand the doctrine of salvation and justification by faith we are protected from misinterpreting this text to mean something that it's not so we take it into all uh, into account all these things and the true meaning seems to rise uh and it makes it makes sense it makes perfect sense it fits mm-hmm. the grammatical structure of the text it fits the context it fits the doctrine it fits everything mm. um and that's the beautiful thing about uh, about biblical interpretation is when you employ just sound biblical or hermeneutical principles man even the toughest of texts the uh, the meaning seems to to be corralled you could say to this one direction or this one place or this one meaning it's a, it's really an incredible thing so i mean we could get into a ton of application right off of that and we're going to get to that eventually um because you just have you can, then you have to. You just have to ask so many critical questions of your life. If this is the pattern, if 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 I if a woman is sanctified in this sphere of life, operating as a mother and as a wife and taking care of children and all these wonderful things that are so important, um, if if a woman decides not to do that and makes a decision to go a different way, you have to ask the question: Well, what is she compromising? What's what's at stake now? What is she missing out on? Is she giving up on an opportunity to become very godly for this other thing? And obviously, there's a lot of things that we would have to ask. Well, is 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 you know is she a single mother, or uh, did her husband die, or or all these different things, or whatever it is? But we'll, we'll wait into that during our ampli- application episodes. But yeah, we'll we'll ra- we'll wrap that up on this text. Uh, I thought that we were gonna get to. Uh, chapter 3 in qualifications for an overseer. I thought we were going to maybe get to Titus 2, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> we almost went two hours on just this, <laughs> like we normally do. <laughs> so <laughs> on our, our, can, on our next I,
1: episodes. Can I add something? No, the, uh, the other one that I, I'm guessing we're going to get to, but it would have been good to get to today if we hadn't went so long. But in it, just following this same pattern, again, to me it's the flow, right? When yeah. we get to, when we get to First Timothy five, it's very yeah. interesting as he gives instructions to widows, yeah, older widows, yep, younger widows, and I yep. just find the instruction is exactly First Timothy two, like yeah, older widows. One of the qualifications of being a faithful older widow to get money within the church and get help is uh, you did this child rearing thing well. Yeah, you cared for your family. And frankly, your family should be trying to take care of you. And if they're not, then right. the, then the church steps in. I'm and I'm jumping yeah. I'm jumping to, you know, without all the detail. And then further, it goes down and says, "So the younger widows who could be tempted with sensuality and other kinds of things, gossip yep. and using their talents wrongly." Yep. Uh, uh they should get married and there again, right back to child rearing and have kids and raise a family. And that's what they should really be doing. So I just find it interesting that that even in other kinds of instruction, Paul refers to the same thing that he just got done referring to in first Timothy two. He resort, he resorts again to that pattern. Right. And even how we take care of the people, the women in our midst who are widows. Right. So, right. It just keeps reoccurring. Read through first Timothy. Oh, it's recurring. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah.
0: So, all right. We'll wrap that up on this episode. Um, Where we're going next, we'll go to chapter 3 because we want to talk about this overseer thing, uh, church leadership. um, Because then Paul starts to define a little bit more what the role of the leader of the church is, the one who does have authority in the church. Um, Again, we'll go to Titus. It's a very similarly structured letter as 1 Timothy. And then we'll get to First Peter eventually, First Peter 3. And then we'll wrap it up on these New Testament epistle passages and get to application. <laughs> Who knows how many episodes we are away from application, but we're getting there. Slowly moving along. <laughs> but thanks for listening. Uh, I encourage you, if you enjoy uh, the podcast and if you're helped and in any way, I encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member. Um, And to leave a rating on uh, your podcast app, if you can, because it helps with discoverability. Uh, But once again, thank you for listening and tune into the next episode. Bye.